Welcome to episode 106 of the Star Trek Academy podcast. Today it's season two, episode three of Strange New Worlds, entitled Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. I'm the Academy media professor, Michael Merrick. And I'm the Academy philosophy professor, Rodney Cup. And before we get started, Michael, I feel the need to rant a little bit about Prodigy. Okay, rant ahead. Early last week, it disappeared from Paramount Plus, and I think... I think that was when I, I really realized how much Prodigy means to me. And I, I have the first nine or ten, however you count them, episodes on physical media now. And if the rest of season one isn't released on DVD, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> and and I'm upset about possibly you know missing out on season two. Paramount Plus claimed that it was the home of Star Trek just a year ago do you remember Mm -hmm. that yeah yeah and now i feel betrayed i bet a lot of listeners do you know they're getting this tax write-off but what about the long-term profitability of star trek this decision isn't going to get them more subscribers and it's not going to bring young fans into the fold either that was you know one of the goals of prodigy Mm -hmm. and it just feels like paramount plus has abandoned these youngsters so i'm upset (laughs) And if our listeners feel the same way, I welcome them to Google articles about what we can do to punish Paramount Plus and maybe bring Prodigy back from cancellation. I just had to say that, Michael. Yeah. And remember, we talked about last week, Paramount Plus and CBS are co-owned by Paramount, but they essentially function independently. So while Paramount Plus was saying it was the home of Star Trek, it's the CBS studios that really owns star trek for tv and so yeah we know they are looking i imagine that part two of season one will be out on blu-ray or dvd or both and we have all indications they're looking for a new online home but you know rodney you and i have been saying for a long time if you like a show get it on physical media Mm -hmm. like blu-ray or dvd those don't expire when contracts run out or streaming platforms change direction. Once you have them in your hand, you have them in your hand. Yeah. Anyway, that being satisfactorily ranted, I think, we always start our podcast with a brief summary of the current Star Trek episode we're talking about so that people who are listening down the road can refresh their memory. So with that summary of tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, including spoilers, Here is Dr. Rodney Cup. All right, so La'an encounters a man in a corridor on the Enterprise who turns out to be an agent from Temporal Investigations. And before he dies from a gunshot wound, he hands this device to La'an and tells her to go to the bridge, which she does. But when she gets there, Kirk is in the captain's chair and they're aboard a United Earth fleet ship. The timeline has been radically altered, and La'an and Kirk debate what to do in his ready room, and during a struggle over this device, they activate it and are transported to present-day Toronto. Now, when Kirk learns about La'an's timeline, which is a whole lot more pleasant than his own, he becomes convinced that the timeline should be repaired. So eventually they figure out that the timeline is changed by the destruction of a cold fusion reactor there in Toronto. Well, they take a side voyage to visit Pelia in Vermont, 
who gives them a watch they can use to find the reactor. And when they do, they are accosted by Sarah, a Romulan from the future, who demands that they help her gain access to the reactor. And when she shoots and kills Kirk, the building security is alerted and she switches to plan B, which is killing Khan, Nooni, and Singh, who is also in the building. But La'an is able to get her hands on Sarah's firearm and kills her. Having completed the mission, repaired the timeline, she returns to her own time where another agent from Temporal Investigations demands that she not tell anyone what happened. But La'an is traumatized by all this in this brief time that she spent with Captain Kirk. She had become friends with him. And that's the episode. Friends or maybe something a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you for that summary. Our main podcast mission is to talk about the philosophy and themes and morals to the story of each episode we talk about. But first, we look at the production of the episode, things like production design, continuity with past Star Trek, ding, 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 and (laughs) character development. So, Rodney, this episode is a lot of fun. I think everyone I've talked to says it's a lot of fun, but it contains some troubling issues related to long-established Star Trek continuity. So I think we need to review what we know, or at least what we knew previously, of the Star Trek timeline. Sometime before the 1990s, the Star Trek timeline diverged from our own, uh, leading to Khan and his fellow supermen conquering most of planet Earth along about 1992, before the Resistance fought back and forced the supermen to flee planet earth and that conflict was known as the eugenics war or eugenics wars the superman took a sleeper ship the botany bay originally i think probably intended for human colonization of mars that means that by the 1990s the timelines had diverged far enough for more advanced spaceflight capability in the star trek universe Now, moving ahead in the 2100s, during the run of Star Trek Enterprise, some preserved embryos of more supermen were raised to maturity, and they caused a lot of trouble, predictably. That's where the term augments Mm. came from. We also learn in both Enterprise and Discovery that there has been a temporal Cold War spanning centuries. The politics of the war has always been kind of vague in that, but it does include at least one massive terrorist attack on Earth seen in Star Trek Enterprise. It also include, or back then included, a shadowy figure bad guy who gives direction to Suliban agents in the Enterprise era. And the Temporal Cold War storyline is mostly wrapped up in the final season of Enterprise, but it is alluded to in Discovery after Discovery gets 900 years into the future. Now, in Star Trek Picard Season 2, which, remember, was set next year in 2024, Mm -hmm. humans are sending manned spacecraft to Europa. So that's also at least a few more decades advanced than our own timeline. And um, in the Star Trek timeline, remember, they invented impulse engines, impulse drive in 2018. Also in that episode, we see one of the Soong bad guys, every generation seems to have a Soong bad guy, Mm -hmm. turn his attention to the Khan project, suggesting that maybe he is behind this Noonien Singh project, and suggesting maybe tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, our current episode, is set 
maybe 12 or 13 years after 2024, but close enough that they still have late model cars uh, in widespread use. I don't believe it's been previously established on screen that anyone named Soong helped create the original Khan and Company that we learned about in Space Seed, but we do kind of have that implication because they've been in there developing genetic engineering and similar things uh, over many generations, many episodes. So this week's episode is set probably a few years from now when this version of Khan is surprisingly a child on Earth. We learned that the Romulans have been interfering with the development of Earth for a long time, holding us back and sowing division and conflict. We learned that time agents from the future are fighting to enforce the temporal prime directive against the interfering Romulans. That's that temporal cold war. And we learned that all of this mucking around in time has moved the eugenics wars into our future. So it's not in 1992 anymore. It's sometime yet to come. That time agent that you mentioned, Rodney, who died early in the episode, is presumably on the other side from the Romulans. But wait, there's more. We also know in Star Trek continuity that in the mid-21st century, Earth experiences World War III, which is clearly differentiated from the 1992 or the 1990s eugenics wars. And so it seems like, in effect, the writers are maybe trying to combine two massive wars on Earth in the Star Trek uh, timeline, combine them into one. The current episode tells us that Earth recovered from the eugenics war and made Earth a paradise, uh, but that doesn't seem to fit in with having a world war 30 years or so later. Right. Um, it is kind of convenient, I think, only having one massive world war, uh, but in the original series, when the Enterprise found the Botany Bay, they knew that the eugenics wars happened in the 1990s, not the mid-2000s. So uh, it's kind of a mess. Uh, by the way, I realized on my third watch that this Kirk's timeline is one in which that Romulan war that happened kind of off screen during the Enterprise series continued with no peace treaty. Mm -hmm. um, so taken as a whole, I think fans, a lot, a lot of fans are having trouble with this concept of just moving the eugenics wars 30 or so years into the future, making it still ahead of us but not an alternate timeline, not a parallel timeline, just making the change within the existing timeline. So like I said, it's kind of a mess. Yeah, Michael, I have to complain not only about it's being a mess, <laughs> but you know, what about the rationale for these continuity changes that have arisen, I think not just in this episode, but in this series so far. Now I read this uh, interview with Akiva Goldman, one of the showrunners on the website Cinema Blend, and he said that they changed the timeline in order to keep Star Trek in our timeline. Well, why would you do that? Well, the reason is that if Star Trek is not in our timeline, then it is no longer something that we can aspire to. That's the justification. Now, if you think that for a minute, though, that's a bad piece of reasoning, isn't it? I mean, the people of Star Trek are similar enough to us that we can still aspire to be like them, even if their timeline is not our timeline. Yeah, we've been doing that for 50 years. Right. We've known for decades that the Star Trek timeline is different than our own, and yet it has remained something for us to aspire to. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? 
I think Star Trek is aspirational for us in the sense that humanity can continue to evolve and embrace these Federation values, which are good values. And we can do that even if our future doesn't include the Federation or Starfleet or even interstellar travel. And to be honest, we have to admit Star Trek is fiction. It's not yes. our future is not going to be exactly like that, no matter right. what happens. But you're right. right. It, it's an aspiration. It's a way that we can hope society will be in the future. And of course, the aspiration for exploration and discovery is a cool part of it all. Well, that is true. That is true. I, I agree with that. I just you know wonder if interstellar travel is even possible. I mean, that's highly speculative, but it really yeah. doesn't matter when you're talking about you know aspirations here. We can have a hopeful future, even if it's not the one we're seeing on screen in Star Trek. So I think that if you're going to make changes to establish canon like this, you need to have a good reason for doing it. And I don't think Goldman has a good reason, as far as I can tell. And major changes like this, they're disorienting. I mean, we might as well be talking about a different universe. Although I'm told that there's only one timeline right? That's written and rewritten. But there isn't because how many parallel timelines have we seen? I mean, there's obviously the the mirror universe as a parallel yeah. timeline, and it's right. a parallel timeline that continues after the individual Star Trek episode where we visit it. I want to talk about that some more, but con continue okay. your thought. I think I've been thinking about timelines as possible worlds, the way philosophers think about possible worlds. But anyway, it's complicated. Some changes create parallel timelines, others apparently don't. But these changes, I think, can be problematic. And this is the problem I have in, with this one. In the year in which this episode is set, the con we knew was a, around 60, 60-ish by this time. But the con we saw in this episode, I would guess, was around 12 Maybe, or so. Yeah, yeah. And I don't see how changes to the timeline could result in someone being born half a century later. And I'm not going to get into the details of that, but that that I, I'm having a lot of trouble with that. So I don't see how the con in this episode could be the con in Space Seed, although they are supposed to be the same person in this episode. And another thing, <laughs> Sarah tells us in this episode that even with changes in the timeline, events that are prevented tend to happen anyway. Right. Um, she says that there's a quote I've got. It's almost as if time itself is pushing back and events reinsert themselves. Now, if that's true, doesn't that lower the stakes? Yeah. Since events that are prevented are going to happen anyway, or they might. So destroying the reactor creates this radically different future in which events that are prevented don't reinsert themselves. Right. Alternate Kirk's timeline is very different from Laon. So Long story short, I really don't think I understand how all of this works, frankly. It's a mess. I agree completely that we have known that Star Trek was a different timeline, at least since 1992. In 1992, I was already in online discussion groups about Star Trek. And I remember, I think, posting something that says, 1992 is over, and we have to admit now that <laughs> eugenics wars didn't happen 
and we're in a different timeline from Star Trek. Just interesting, there were some people back then who tried to rationalize saying, well, the war happened, but it was a cold war, and it was it was never in the news, and no one knew that it was happening. That didn't hold up too well, of course. Mm. But Star Trek Picard Season 2 reinforces this idea of being in a different timeline because of their spaceflight capabilities and things. And unless they're going to do more clarification in future episodes, it's it's a big mess. The people making these different Star Trek series need to talk to each other and not contradict each other. Taking a step back, though, let's let's talk about time travel stories a little more broadly. It's often fun science fiction because you know, we see uh, our heroes in different settings or sometimes in, in not just time travel, but but time travel to parallel universes and things. But that kind of story tends to use whatever theory about time travel works best for the story they have in mind. In Star right. Trek, sometimes there are branched timelines. We know, I mentioned the mirror universe, we know that that happened because when the Vulcans landed in Bozeman, Montana, and met Zephram Cochran, Zephram and his people, instead of shaking hands and welcoming them uh, in this branch timeline, they pulled out guns and killed the Vulcans and stole their spaceship or something along those lines. So again, in Star Trek, sometimes there are branch timelines in which things are different and maybe our people move back and forth. But sometimes it is a single timeline that gets changed and has to get changed back, like in the city on the edge of forever when McCoy goes back through the Guardian of Forever, a.k.a. Carl, and changes the timeline, and Kirk and Spock have to change it back. There was no parallel timeline, parallel universe in, in that story. So if the temporal Cold War and the Romulan conspiracy is a storyline that Strange New Worlds is going to bring back, they really need to flesh it out more, including some kind of rationale for how and why the Romulan conspiracy has been manipulating Earth's people for centuries, and at least some kind of technobabble about how the eugenics wars could be moved by decades, not just saying some people mucked around in the timeline and it changed. It's, it's going to need more from that if they're going to pursue this as a storyline, not a one-off episode. I mean, alien manipulation would be kind of a nice conspiracy-oriented explanation for all these wars and terrorist acts and school shootings and all that that happen so regularly. You know, it would be kind of nice to say, well, these aren't people doing this because they're bad. You know, the Romulans are manipulating them. And that's what conspiracy theory is. The hmm. Shadowy figures, they're operating offstage, undercover, and doing nefarious things. In this case, somehow convincing ordinary people to do bizarre things that that hurt other people. In Star Trek, I think that only does work in the context of the temporal Cold War, which I had hoped and concluded in Enterprise, at least concluded as an ongoing story arc other than something they refer to occasionally. Can I just say this? You know, I've been watching Enterprise for the first time, and I finished season one some time ago. And, you know, I have to say the whole temporal Cold War storyline with the Suliban and all that is pretty confusing. I wouldn't have minded if they had just finished that off and forgotten about it. <laughs> the confusing factor and the story will continue for a couple more seasons at least. Yeah. Um, so be, be prepared for more temporal Cold War as you, mm. as you watch Enterprise. Turning the page here, 
There was some significant character development for La'an in this episode. Yep. We've seen she's been pretty cool to others. And part of that is maybe her personal backstory. But I, I think she has been afraid to open herself up to the kind of discrimination she experienced as a child based on her name. Uh, of course, I think she more or less falls in love with Jim Kirk, at least sort of. Yeah, I mean, she, I think, finally gets a taste of human closeness that she's been denied all of her life because of her heritage. Of course, Kirk, even in, in a revised timeline, is apparently uh, a charmer. Yeah. But I think that her experiences here and also Nira's advice last week are helping her start to open up. And I, I could imagine the character was created who is not very social and, and not very connected to others and intended over time to, to open up. I could imagine that as a character story planned from the beginning. A few quick takes here. Uh, the time travel device that La'an receives looks a lot like a garage door opener I used to have. <laughs> maybe it Maybe it is a garage door opener. I mean, several of McCoy's medical instruments on the original series were uh, salt shakers, I understand, right? Yeah, yeah. Speaking of time travel, Picard season one told us that Romulans do not use computers, or at least not network computers, because remember the admonition yeah. about AI? But the Romulan agent here, Sarah, says they used computer prediction to identify the point in time that would result in the change that they want. So there's a contradiction again between Strange New Worlds and Picard. And it really sounds like what we today would call artificial intelligence used yeah. to analyze data in more complex ways than people do. Yeah. I enjoyed in this episode, the irony of Kirk in this new timeline telling Spock that they might be friends in some other timeline. Yeah, I'm sure. Many of us caught that. And speaking of that other timeline, uh, that scene in which Kirk tries to drive a car, that's got to remind fans of the scene in the original series episode, a piece of the action, right? In which Kirk tries to drive an internal combustion engine car badly. Yeah. In fact, the first time he engages the clutch in that in that episode, they go backwards. They bump backwards yeah. and then go forwards. So right. I thought that was a very clear tribute to, to that scene. As far as I've been able to determine from internet searches and asking Canadian friends, this bridge in Toronto that blows up in the episode doesn't exist and is not planned, although people have talked about uh, a long bridge uh, there for a long time. So again, that suggests this episode is several years in the future mm. so that they would have time to, to imagine and build this bridge. But again, all of the cars and trucks we saw in the episode seem to be fairly current models. So it can't be too far in the future. Yeah, I'm not sure. I said earlier, you know, around 2023, it's around our time. It's, they, you know, they never really pin it down exactly, but it's close to our present time, it must be. If Soong in 2024 had his lab destroyed, pulls out um, a manila folder that says the Khan project on mm -hmm. it, and begins working on Khan, and then we see a kid who looks to be about 12, either the kid undergoes rapid aging like so many children do in TV series, uh, <laughs> right. or it's you know 2024 plus 12, 2036, mm. you no. Know? Maybe some of the same kinds of cars were around, and or maybe the car models built in the next 12 years will just all look like variations on a theme. 
unlike if you were to compare, say, today in the 1960s with or the 50s with all the fins and hood ornaments and things. Right. So um, as a photographer and a photography teacher, I note that evil Romulans prefer Canon cameras. Is that right? Now, they Canons are pretty good. I'm not saying anything bad about Canons. I happen to shoot Nikon, but uh, Canons are good. I just noted... I wonder if it's a product placement or if it just happened to be the uh, the model of camera that they picked up to use in the shot and didn't remove the brand name. You know, I'd be okay with product placement if, if it meant that Prodigy could stay on Paramount+. Plus. And if Canon doesn't mind being associated with evil time-traveling Romulan bad guys. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of her, of, of Sarah... Uh, she mentions that she's been stranded on Earth for 30 years. Yep. Apparently, she, uh, what I took away was she first arrived when the eugenics wars were supposed to be in 1992, but then magically they were rescheduled and she had to sit there and wait them out. And this is not the first time we've met a time traveler stranded on Earth for many years. You remember Captain Braxton in Voyager? He kind of went crazy after a few years on Earth or many years on Earth. Uh, and uh, Sarah seems to be a bit off, too. So, again, kind of a, a similar concept behind a time traveler stranded on Earth. Rodney, I believe this is the first time on screen that Kirk's birth has been clearly fixed in Riverside, Iowa. Now, I'm talking about the main Star Trek timeline, not the J.J. Mm -hmm. Abrams uh, movies. But I've been to Trekfest in Riverside three times over the years. And the folks there are going to be thrilled to finally be canon in the prime Star Trek universe. Don't they have a statue there of Kirk? They have a statue. They have a marker uh, down the street a little bit, marking the physical birthplace. And one year when I was there, the mayor told me, that yeah that that where that marker is used to be a barber shop but but the building was removed and so they have this uh this marker there presumably in the future it becomes a hospital site trek fest in riverside is, is fun in this part of the country almost every community small community has a summer festival a mm -hmm. summer celebration things and this is that but it's kind of fun that in this small town in iowa they've chosen to be to be themed Star Trek. And, you know, in the parade, many, if not all the floats are Star Trek themed. People in Star Trek uniforms all over the place, a trivia contest, a Star Trek trivia contest. So it, it's it's a lot of fun. Different from your typical Star Trek convention because it's a small town celebration. Anyway, if you're anywhere near close or interested in a little travel, uh, you can find Trek Fest on the internet uh, easily enough. When Kirk is playing chess for money, what does he use for his first stake? Yeah, good question. You know, he didn't turn in his glasses like Kirk did in uh, in the voyage home. Plus, this Kirk won enough for a very fancy hotel suite. It's fancy enough suite that apparently comes with bathrobes provided. So there were apparently some remarkably rich chess players there along the waterfront, and apparently they carry huge quantities of cash to their games by the waterfront in Toronto. In this episode, uh, we learned that a Vulcan with whom Kirk was once imprisoned taught Kirk to use the Vulcan nerve pinch. But in the original series, it was established that Spock had tried to teach the pinch to Kirk, but Kirk couldn't master it. Interesting. Hey, Michael, why don't we talk about Kirk's death for a minute Okay. in this episode? I understand that in the original version of Generations, 
Kirk died by being shot with a phaser, but the test audiences didn't like it, so they changed it. I do remember hearing that they reshot some of the final scenes, yeah. Right. But in this episode, Kirk dies by being shot with a firearm. And, you know, that's not really a heroic death, is it? <laughs> not really. And, you know, this is the the second alternate timeline Kirk we have seen in four Strange New Worlds episodes. Now, this is the third episode of this season, and we get a oh, that's right. alternate timeline Kirk, and the finale of the previous season was an alternate timeline Kirk. We haven't seen right. a well, except for that final scene in the pad, the final conversation Lon has with him for a few seconds. We haven't seen him yet in, in this timeline. Um, you know, this is still a younger Kirk. He looks the same, but this is still a younger Kirk presumably somewhat less experienced, even though he's in command of a big starship. He certainly misjudged the reaction of a wacko Romulan sleeper time agent who knows the Romulan Empire is better without Kirk. Yeah, But, you know, he's dead, but he got better. He's going to get right. <laughs> okay, well, let's uh, turn the page and talk about meaning. So the question here is, what messages did the writers and producers want us to take away from this episode? Or, similarly, what things are we taking away, even if the producers didn't intend it? Because we can do that, you know. Yeah, we can. Everyone can. And Rodney, I'm not sure that I see a moral to the story in this episode, but Lon has a big ethical decision that she, she has to make, and she has to make it without much time to think about it. Mm -hmm. Does she kill young Khan? who she knows at least is likely or has a possibility of causing a huge amount of strife uh, in the future as an adult. Does she kill him? Killing him might prevent a disastrous war, but also it might prevent the Federation from being created with all the good that the Federation will do in, in the future. It might also cause the Romulans to attack and devastate Earth if she doesn't kill him because he would be an antagonist to them. And her own heritage and discrimination uh, experiences come into play also as she mm -hmm. as she tries to figure out what to do. I think it's telling that the previously on Strange New World scenes at the beginning of the episode include that scene from last week in which Nira tells La'an that people are not automatically bad. They're born with the capacity to do things which may be good or not good. Mm -hmm. And And I think that conversation from what we see as the previous week was probably in Lon's mind as she was assessing her own possible actions with respect to Khan. Face it, in the altered timeline, we have no evidence about whether Khan will turn out to be uh, a despotic warlord or not. Now, Sarah may know because she has access to information about future events, but we don't know because the writers basically avoided 50 years of continuity, and so we don't know what the yeah. future of this con brings. He could be a good guy. He could be a force for unity with his genetically engineered intellect. You never know. Speaking of ethics, I think it is a little distressing that Kirk and La'an so easily turned to crime. <laughs> shoplifting clothing, yeah. stealing a really cool Dodge Charger. I think it's a Charger. Vulcan neck-pinching strangers. Uh, it's a very utilitarian, ends-justifies-the-means uh, approach to their mission and uh, the needs of the many justifying crimes against the few. Yeah. Here's my take on all this. I like the way the episode is written. 
is very unified because the entire episode sets up La'an's decision to protect a mass murderer, as she puts it. Now, she has, I think you were pointing out, she has these self-interested reasons to kill Khan. Miss Sarah tells her that if, if he dies, you can live whatever kind of life you want, and you'll never have to hear the name Khan ever again. You can be free of him. So we know uh, that she feels lonely and isolated because of her name and her heritage. Now, according to one moral theory, ethical egoism, each of us is morally obligated to do what is in our long-term self-interest. Now, if you think about that for a second, it doesn't really sound like a moral theory. At least it doesn't sound like one to me. But it would justify Lon's murder of Khan. It's in her self-interest. But ordinarily, I think that moral reasons trump self-interest. That's how we ordinarily think about it. And her decision to spare Khan's life seems heroic, maybe because of that self-sacrifice. But, yeah. but why is it heroic if it is? Well, again, you know, by sparing his life, she's sacrificing potentially great future happiness. But, you know, how could protecting a mass murderer by killing his assassin be morally justified? That's what she does. And I, I think the most straightforward justification here, it's utilitarian, right? Protecting Khan and the Federation creates more utility overall than killing Khan and preventing the Federation from coming to be. I guess I disagree with you here about uh, her level of certainty. I think she's in an enviable position of not having to really make her best guess. I mean, she knows what's going to maximize utility because she knows what happens in alternate Kirk's timeline. And of course, what happened in her own timeline. And that justifies the relatively insignificant, I would say, crimes that they commit in Toronto. It's and it's it's kind of the ends justify the means here but it, yeah. you know it's hard to argue with it really i mean considering what's at stake so i mean we've talked about it before it sounds like the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one that's what it sounds like and that's what it is that might sound a little surprising coming from us but you know i think that there will be times when appeal to a utilitarian principle like this is needed you know particularly when you've got moral principles conflicting here you know, sure, La'an has to, you know, kill that Romulan time traveler um, in order to protect the timeline. But considering what's at stake, you know, maybe a violation of a being's right to life is justified. So that's my take on all of this. You know, Rodney, there's another thought I had about La'an. Uh, we've been told that she is, in fact, a descendant of Khan not just an extended family member or something, a descendant of Khan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if Khan dies as a child, La'an ceases to exist. Now, her garage door opener protects her, <laughs> yeah. but her identity, her heritage ceases to exist after Khan. And so she would come back to no Starfleet records, nobody remembering her. The, the gadget, the garage door opener would protect her, but there, she would not have any place within the adjusted timeline. You know, yeah, that's a good point because, I mean, on, on the one hand, you know, it would be nice to have all of this uh, con stuff behind her, but she's going to be terribly alone and she's already lonely as it is, right? That idea of you can be anybody you want to be, I mean, at, at face value, it means you will have no identity in the future and you can 
start fresh and do anything you want. So it's another thing I want. I'm not sure if the writers thought through. Hmm. And another question I have is what are the ethics of the Romulans? Now they're bad guys and they're probably not designed to have ethics, but, but still they apparently know from time travel that earth making up the core of the United Federation of planets is bad for the Romulan star empire. And they feel no compunction against interfering with a pre-warp culture in a way that is harmful to many. And just saying that they're warlike doesn't really tell us the rationale for their expansionism. Now, part this has been a problem for a long time, because in the original series, when we first learned about the Romulans exploding out of their star system and attacking, we never really understood the rationale. Mm -hmm. I have wondered more recently Mm -hmm. if their rationale had to do with knowing from scientific study their star was getting ready to explode and that they needed to have someplace else to go. That's just a guess. But that does not hint at their capability to travel decades or centuries into the past to manipulate human culture, to keep them off center, to keep us off center without being able to develop uh, space flight and interstellar space flight. So I don't really understand the whole Romulan plan here other than that Romulans are bad guys so we can write them as bad guys yeah i'm not sure i can help with that Uh, it's definitely worthy uh, of thinking about you know we just sort of take for granted that they're the bad guys without really you know maybe the problem is the you know romulans need to be better developed you know i think tng went a long way toward developing them but but we need more i suppose yeah you know you and i have acknowledged for a long time that bad guys are more interesting if they're well-rounded characters Absolutely. Not, not just bad for the sake of being bad, but, you know, if we understand their backstory and we may not agree with it, but understand why they are the way they are. Yeah. Well, uh, time for final thoughts then on tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Did we like this episode? What kind of value judgment do we want to make about it? Michael? As I said at the beginning of the podcast, this episode's a lot of fun. For me personally, the timeline confusion gets in the way. Because the way Star Trek timeline continuity has always fit together from the first season of the first Star Trek series has been one of my interests. It's one of the things that that was appealing to me. I agree. I just wonder how many fans are like us in that one of the things that's exciting about Star Trek and interesting about it is this shared this timeline <laughs> yeah. that, like holds it all together so but i feel similarly about this episode look it's good it's well written it's entertaining and i just wanted to say christina chong was fantastic i mean she's mm-hmm. <laughs> uh but apparently this timeline now has been rewritten and who knows how much of the star trek universe we're familiar with no longer exists it's a mess you know, it bothers me. Uh, yeah. Until they do more episodes expanding on it, I'm still in my own head going to treat it as a parallel universe that she popped mm. into. But we will see how they address it going further. You know, Rodney, we like to talk about the origin of the episode title. And right. this episode title, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, is from Shakespeare. <laughs> more Star Trek episodes than you would guess are quotes from Shakespeare. And this is from Macbeth. He has just learned that his wife has died and he offers, turns to the audience, faces the audience and offers this soliloquy again, reflecting on, on his wife. She should have died hereafter. 
there would have been a time for such a word. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Mm -hmm. So there are now two Star yeah. Trek episode titles from this one Macbeth soliloquy. And both are references to what could have happened or what might happen in the future or with the passage of time. My very final thought is that if the eugenics wars can be moved ahead within the same timeline and still have the same long-term outcome, can other things be moved or changed within a given timeline and not produce radically different outcomes, such as Pike's fate mm. when saving cadets in the radiation accident oh, yeah. in a few years. Is this episode, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, a setup for a happier ending concerning Pike's fate in the series finale of Strange New Worlds? Given what we know so far, given what I know from this episode, they can basically do really whatever they want, you know? And, and you know, I... Uh, a relatively happy ending for Strange New Worlds might be more satisfying than either seeing a recreation of Pike's accident that leaves him horribly disfigured and unable to to do anything other than, than blink lights. You mm -hmm. know, you know that would be kind of a downer ending to the series, even though we know what will come next. Yeah, for rewriting sure. it so that he survives the accident, goes to Talos Five anyway, and hangs out with a long-term girlfriend, you might say, that might be a more satisfying ending to the series. Or they may end it some completely different way. Who knows? What this reminds me of is, you know, how many times have we seen Bruce Wayne's parents get murdered on screen? You know, I don't want to see Pike get injured again and again and again. You know, we saw the aftermath in the original series. We saw it kind of happen and discover. I don't want to see that again. Yeah. You know, if he becomes fleet captain, Kirk assumes command of the Enterprise, and Pike has a happier ending, I I guess I'd be okay with that. If we have sufficient rationale and technobabble to explain <laughs> yeah. it away. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we thank you for joining us for this podcast. Next week's episode is Among the Lotus Eaters. Now, that's a reference to a people that Odysseus encountered in the Odyssey. The eating of the lotus plant by these people left them blissfully forgetful. You can stay in touch with us on our social media feeds on Mastodon, Twitter, and Facebook at Trek underscore Academy. And we're also on Tumblr at Trek Academy. You can Google Star Trek Academy podcast and look for our red Vulcan hand salute logo. And you can also subscribe via your podcast app to automatically get the new podcast downloads. So we thank you again for listening and we'll see you next time on the Star Trek Academy podcast.